if I recall, John, when you proposed the idea to Nate and I, um, you said like, look, I, I kind of want to use the podcast as an opportunity to just try to get a handle on the things. I, I, I am in that state where I don't really have a critical orientation to it. So I said, and I hadn't read anything about it. I kind of just mentioned that, you know, we're going to do, um, an episode on it to, to Tony, Tony Stagliano. And he hadn't watched it either, but like at least was aware that there was some kind of controversy about it. So I was prepared for it to be, you know, like not really sure what direction it would take me in. And I thought it was the funniest fucking thing I've watched in a long time. <laughs> it made me laugh like all the time. I mean, like, I mean, to the, the intellectual engagements that I had, which I think will, you know, drive our conversation and will be the most interesting things long term were not driving me actually watching. I just thought it was good and really, really funny. Good. 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 Yeah. I might change my opinion over the course of this conversation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I came into it like almost feeling like I'd already watched it just because I'd heard of so many different opinions, both on Twitter, from friends, my parents had watched it. And it seems like, at least on the Twitterverse, everybody either viciously hated it or was saying it was like this experimental genius work of art and so I was kind of skeptical going in I also feel like the reception was a little similar to uh, Nanette um, mm -hmm. yeah. you know because it marketed itself as a comedy special but it wasn't explicitly or it wasn't overtly fun like it wasn't packed with jokes it was a lot of like right. uh, criticism reflection on the state of comedy which is also like how the Bo Burnham special starts and ends it's like talking about comedy rather than like explicitly pushing jokes all the time um, but I mean I don't know because we were watching it as like food for conversation in the podcast I feel like I had a different orientation towards it than I would just picking it up on Netflix casually so i i was finding interesting stuff throughout but i was reading it like a text you know what i mean like as yeah, we would yeah. uh something you know deleuze or heidegger or whatever um but i liked it i mean i didn't dislike it so yeah no, that's interesting it's funny because i i had watched it before kind of the hype just because i had been anticipating it i follow bo burnham on twitter and but a lot of like gen z people were resurfacing his old stuff and this was weeks before he'd even mentioned really that he was coming up with a new special so he had kind of been on the brain and i checked in to see what he's up to and anyways when i first watched it i actually had to stop watching it because i got so depressed when i saw it um but at the same time i think there is certainly a humor to it i think like i thought and and uh, nanette was a very uh good point because I felt the same way that initially when I had started watching it I was like ah uh, what's the word it, I don't know I feel like it's not in the conventional kind of funny that we're used sure. to right but there it's aren't jokes I mean there are not very many jokes there are a few but there aren't very many mm -hmm. exactly but I think honestly like his line like towards the end when he was saying like you know the tone of him talking about how he wanted to get back into comedy right before COVID and he's like and the funniest thing happened and it's like that dark satire irony <laughs> I feel like that's like the most pervasive theme of like and I don't know you just have that really t pun funny feeling as you watch it too like it was kind of sickening in a way but at the end like I felt it was I actually, you know, I wouldn't even say it's rewarding. I felt, like, really empty after watching it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I feel like I kind I of relieved too. the pandemic. So yeah. that's yeah, my, my roundabout take. <laughs> it's an interesting, I mean, that's, this is just a side note, but it was interesting to me, and I was really probably aware of it the second time I watched it. Like, he never mentions COVID. He never no, mentions no. the pandemic. Like, it's not mentioned. Mm -mm. Even alluded to. 
right? Like, other than the funniest thing happened. That's the only time, and it's all left out there. And, like, and yet, we as viewers watching this now, you don't have to mention it. It's no. super yeah. obvious. Every single person knows what the constitution the of that year, why did he stay inside for a year? We all know. Right. He doesn't have to explain it, right? Like, and I thought about that, like, the idea of the sort of staying power of, you know, works yeah. of art. It's like, in 20 years, that's not going to make sense. No. Right? I mean, or, or longer. Like, it's just not going to make sense because he doesn't reference it. He do, There's no frame. There's no gesture to it. It yeah. is just like... That's... People are going to think he was just depressed. Right. <laughs> he was just holding himself up as opposed to being actually that's stuck. Right. Yeah. Jacob, that, but that's it right. is interesting, though, considering in his career, he was out of comedy for five years doing just that's that. That's right. Do, so yes. in conversation with, like, watching it, you know, 20 years from now, it might still have the same, like, resonance. But I also think, like, from a media perspective, if you watch it, and you don't understand the context, like, and it has that sort of, like, temporary fleeting of, like, live comedy, like, mm-hmm. in a weird kind of meta way. So, yeah. I don't know, something Had to think he, about. Had he quit comedy or something? Did he quit live performing? Is that yeah. a panic attack? That's what said. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Really depressed. And he alludes to that, like, I mean, even in, like, tw- I re- recently rewatched his 2016 Be Happy, and it has, like, and I would say it was really more, like, the last, like, five minutes he really gets into, like, I'm so tired of this, I am so depressed, like... I'm I'm done basically. Well, when did he start? And, Do you know? Like, was he really young? Was he like 16 when he got his start? Yeah, yeah. Was like he was a YouTube. was a YouTube video. Right? Yeah. yeah, there's a clip of it in this okay, in, the, yeah. in this special of him watching himself. He has just commented on like turning the turning ourselves over or turning our brains over to right. these like corporations. And it's he's and then he's watching himself as a 16 year old play the song that like went viral and made well, and him Bob Burnham. What's interesting, though, it wasn't even one song. So I was looking at his Wikipedia page. So what got him started wasn't even so much that he did a song and it went viral. So he he'd sent, he put it on YouTube like for his family to share. And that kind of picked up traction. But then from there, he wrote a whole album. So it wasn't as if this was oh, a one-hit right. wonder and he got all the fame at once. Like, it kind of changes the narrative and his own cynicism that, in a way, he kind of bought into it. Like, he yeah. saw, like, I mean, that definitely sparked it. But, like, it wasn't like there was a turn. Like, 2006 was when that video came out, the first one. And 2008, he already had a deal with Comedy Central. And he was, like, Oh, wow. 17. I didn't realize that. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, like, interesting kind of the interplay is, like, on one hand, he's so critical, but it's not like he didn't have a choice going into this industry and, like, having this. Like, he was fully bought in, which is not, like, a bad thing, but... No, but it's obviously something that he... I mean, you know, obviously he's wrestling with that. Like, his role as... You know, and that, to me, is one of the recurring motifs is, you know, my role as a... uh, cultural critic who's still participating in the culture, which one of the things that struck me, Caroline, just from our conversations about your job at at Turner, right? Like, that's a question that you struggle with, right? Like, is, okay, on the one hand, I'm really interested in, in perpetuating the arts and doing something interesting with this sort of creativity and productions, and, and, and on the other hand, I'm working for a giant, you know, global corporation who you know, so so having to balance those questions, so it is it's it's generationally appropriate. Like for folks entering the 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 non academic workforce, it's like that's a real problem that you have to wrestle with. That in ways my generation didn't have to. I mean, I guess to, it just depends on who you are, but like we didn't wrestle with it as much. And academia is a different industry altogether. Yeah, you know? so we have to wrestle with that as well. I mean, look, we put kids in crazy debt every year yeah that's yeah. true well, right? i mean the corporate university i mean it is sort yeah. of its own yeah. system but it's still yeah. 
runs similarly. You know, there, there's our right. culp, uh, there's a culpability in corporate uh, values in any industry, basically, sure. at this point, you know, including yeah. comedy, which she alludes to again and again throughout this special. But is that interplay that I enjoyed the most? I mean, you know, we're talking about whether it's comedy or whether it's funny or whatever else. And, you know, I, the, for me, the best comedy has always played with the line between what's a joke and not a joke. Right. You know, Nat is, is a good example. I mean, I think Chappelle for a long time, um, you know, the, um, uh, was it, um, what's the, uh, the sketch comedy, Bob Newkirk? Um, and oh, Chris oh, Bob, the, the Ross. show. Yeah, the oh, show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all of those sorts of things. I mean, that. Bob and Dave. Which, which don't, you know, kind of assert, or at least they problematize the kind of, you know, funny, serious binary as like, what? Like, terrible, serious, depressing things are not antithetical to, to humor. They, they, that they, like, they can also be funny and terrible at the same, at the same time. And that doesn't simply make it like, okay. And, you know, I, I find, Often what we're trying to do in categorizing something as, you know, comedy or not comedy is we're trying, if we license it as comedy, then we're free to laugh at it without being on the hook for the thing. But then if it slips over into something else, then we have to be more safeguarded with our reactions to it, lest we be complicit in something that's bad. And what I like about comedies that, that blur that boundary is like, you, you're going to laugh and be complicit at the same time. And you don't really get to pick and choose. And in fact, not like it's actually finding that license to laugh without being on the hook. And that's the scary thing. That's the kind of, you know, purity seeking fascistic thing. That's like, I get to laugh at this thing because I've been sanctioned to do it. I've been allowed to do it. Well, Nanette made a really good point uh, in that special. If you, have you, I guess you guys have all seen it since everyone kind of brought it yeah. up about the whole idea of comedy being tension and release and like the right. her self-awareness too of like as you're talking right. and telling this really dark, not even a joke, it just becomes this, um, it's all a tension and release kind of thing and like how much more significant those releases are and why I think those that kind of comedy is more effective as a medium because it's so controversial and you do have like that freedom to laugh because you really aren't sure if you're allowed to versus like the simple ha funnies it's like well of course i'm gonna laugh at that versus the like ooh, this is kind of a scandalous laughter but i actually sort of think that this is different insofar as there isn't really release right like nanette does give you that and then she takes it away right like Mm -hmm. hannah gatsby gives you that in that in that special right she and she shows you how she's doing it and she does it but there isn't a release it's all like there's nothing that in this in terms of the cultural criticism and then moving into the depression question like there's none of it that's that's just like oh i can laugh at this now right like it's all filled with it there's no simple it's not like there's a dialectic between tension and release Mm -hmm. it's like tension release all the time i agree I would say, though, I do think the musical numbers, more so in the first half, like Welcome to the Internet and, like, little yeah. snippets within definitely, like, contributed to somewhat of a release. I think also, too, like, I have the bias, which I feel like most people who did go into it knowing Bo Burnham, understanding his style and, like, that his kind of music is just so funny to me, even if it's not even if it's not as clever or as funny as he usually is because I know his style of comedy and, like, watched yeah. him kind of grow. So I, I don't know. I felt... To me, the most tense parts was the voyeuristic aspects of it, as yeah, we all, I'm yeah. sure, you know, felt. Sure. But the yeah. songs, I thought that those actually, in a way, were like the most relief that you can kind of take a second and 
I don't know. I wasn't really reflecting. I was kind of just enjoying like the wit of it. And so that was, like I don't the, know. And, and look, I love how he takes the genres. I mean, the musical genres and what he does with the musical genres is, is nothing. I was just like, oh, that's a brilliant, you know, yeah. uh, way of using that genre of music. But think of something like the sock puppet. Mm-hmm. Um, One of the, the sock, The socko, right? Like socko. it's it's the kids. I mean, it's done as this, it's the kids comic thing. And this is how the world works. And he tells this nice, I mean, in that first part, he tells this nice story about like how, you know, ecological, everything is connected and we all work together and the fish in the sea and everything. And then it's like, actually it's about sort of abusive, exploitative power and genocide. And that's sort of sock. And then he performs it in an accident, his relationship, you know, with the sock puppet. So that's what I mean. It's like what seems like this kind of silly juvenile thing becomes like, Oh fuck, this is, this is kind of intense, right? Like, and, and, and brutal, right? Like, I mean, obviously it's a sock puppet and whatever, but I mean, it's, it, there's a brutality to the end of that thing. That's just like the, the, the extent to which the sock puppet is now cowed into submission and will sing along the, sing the song along with him, you know, after he, you know, so, and also, I mean, for me, I love that. What, what went from that sort of likable childhood, Mr. Rogersy type voice is still that Mr. Rogersy type voice, but he's like, you will obey me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I mean, that, that's what I mean. If there's a, yeah. maybe, a, maybe a closer relationship between the tension and release so that it's not mm-hmm. like build up tension, ah, release, we get to laugh yeah. for a little bit. It's like there's no time where you just get to laugh. I think maybe I'm going to rephrase what I initially said. I don't think it was released in the sense that it was like that tension that was built up was finally alleviated. I think it was kind of like a, kind of like passing a kidney stone that definitely, (laughs) it got out. But I think it's almost like in levels of extreme because when you look at that skit in particular, I felt, you know, midway as he starts, you know, darkening it, I was like, oh shit. But then we can swear on this, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, no. um, But then at the very finale of it, when it got super dark, you know, the world is made of blood. It was so intense that I laughed harder than I would have out of right. the absurdity and insanity yeah. of it all. So it wasn't like a traditional, like, oh, you know, like this is really funny. But yeah. I think almost he works in these incredible lows, but then incredible highs that are still yeah. equally dark, but also just so insanely dark that it almost like flips it in a way that that's it is a very good release. In, that's in, what yeah. I mean. And so yeah. that's. That's different than Hannah Gadsby. She yeah. does not do that yeah. that next move, you know. And I, I I do think that that is interesting. I I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, what I really I mean to to stick stick with the Mr. Sacco example is how seamless the transitions are within that the genre of the of the kids um, show, where he seamlessly like the seamless you know like I mean you have no idea you're passing in you know through this liminal space That's right. like into the sock telling you about like the world being made of blood and then you know like he's singing along with him and then and then like the seamless transition into the exertion of power over the puppets is like part yeah. of what is incredibly unnerving and terrifying about it but then the dramatization of that back and forth yeah. and I, I i totally agree with caroline that that you know there is there is a the, the release is yeah kind of like passing the kidney stone rather than being yeah. allowed to laugh you're never allowed to laugh but it's sort of like 
you have to in response to well to it the, is i mean the yeah it is that baseline it is that baseline question and i think it's one i mean i want to throw out like because i think i mean he doesn't resolve it and he doesn't resolve a lot of the questions which is great he doesn't need to it's yeah. not his you know um but he, you know the question he raises right at the beginning which is you know is it should i be joking at a time like this right and and he means that initially he means that in terms of the world situation, right? He means sort of social circumstances. Can one do comedy? What role does comedy serve or can comedy serve in the context, in the social context? It then turns in the second half, because that's also right at the end. He says the exact same thing in, in one of the sort of closing songs, but it's in relationship to his mental state, right? In other words, this is no longer a social question. This is a sort of personal, personal question. Like, should I be making jokes about my you know, depression, right? And, and that's actually one of the things that bugs me about the, not bu bugs is not the right word, but has kind of graded on me a little bit is that there's a way of, of watching the episode as a devolution from social criticism to mental health deterioration, such that the social criticism would be like a nascent version, <laughs> uh, uh, you know what I mean? And that was one of the things, this sort of tr transformation from the first half, which is cultural commentary, cultural criticism, funny and whatever, you know, to like, I'm depressed and thinking of ending things and, and whatnot, you know, like, it, it personalizes it, like, I wish it hadn't ended how it ended. I wish there had been a turn, you know, one more turn at the end to bring it back to the social. And not, you know what I mean? Like that—that yeah. that was to me the because it, it just like it just became there was a way in which the arc of it just transitioned from the social yeah. to the personal, and that's where we sort of stopped. Yes, a sort of problematic reentry into the social at the end, but nevertheless, like yeah, um, I, I felt not only thematically but just in terms of rhythm and pace, it just slowed down. I mean, maybe it yeah. was just too a little bit too long. I think it could have ended in an hour. What was it? An hour and a half something around there. I just felt a little bit of exhaustion with both the content and the sort of pacing of it. I felt like I know it was sort of almost more musical than it was comedic or it was some sort of synth yeah. synthesis, but I also felt like there was too many songs. <laughs> like I hit a wall with the songs at about an hour, like 50 minutes, and I was like, I would like just some Bo Burnham talking. I mean, I get this is what it is, but like, so I just felt rhythmically like you're talking about the content shifts from right. critical commentary social commentary to personal reflection i felt like just compositionally it was a brilliant piece but it felt like he could have made some editing decisions mm -hmm. it could have been 50 minutes you know what i mean instead of an hour and a half it wouldn't have given you the tension though it wouldn't have given yeah. you i mean i think that because i agree with you in the sense that i was pretty uncomfortable for the last 20 minutes yeah. watching it um, because there was a lot of just him sitting, right? There's per, like still shots. The silences were kind of nice. And, and shots of him starting were... <laughs> starting to speak and not being able to speak and yeah. starting again, you know, like... Right. Um, and so, and I think that... I mean, I get what you're saying as you're watching it, but I think in terms of the scope of the thing, that's what he's trying to do. It's like, that's... That's the project well, here. Is and like, he talks well, about, like, not giving a shit whether you're paying attention or not, but the also right. caring. There's the one song where he's like, I don't even want to know if you're bored. Like, right. I don't care. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep plotting right. forward. Yeah. Right. I mean, there is that, that shift where, yeah, like, the, the, the working on the project is the thing that's keeping him going. And talking about that big right. transition, you know, the, the first... You know, like one of the very first songs, it's all like there's almost the, the Monty Python search for the Holy Grail, like God descends from the skies to put him on his quest to use comedy to save the social. And then, you know, he 
kind of that that shift turns to comedy just allowing him to continue to live right right I think it is also interesting, though, given the medium that we're watching it on, because unlike a normal comedy special, I mean, obviously, yes, we're more accustomed to seeing comedy specials, but those are pre-recorded specials in a live audience setting, whereas Bo Burnham intentionally made this to be streamed and exclusively streamed. And I mean, again, I don't want to imply this like genius on a person who hasn't really explained his, you know, piece in a way. Mm. But I do think it's interesting how we watch it, because I personally I had to stop it because I was I mean, partially, you know, I was just kind of like, whoa, this is like a lot to process. I was looking for something fun. But also, I agree with you guys. I mean, it is like exhausting. It is uncomfortable. So but it is like fascinating too, like that extra layer of self-reflection that may not have even been Bo Burnham's intention, that it's like, I can actually sit and pause and watch this. And I have, despite the fact that it's his show, you have the control as, you know, how much of it that you actually watch, you know? Like, I think that, I don't know, added a different element to it of like... So so that's interesting because I think then maybe we all had this experience because I actually, the first time I watched it, I stopped it with about 25 minutes left because I was like, I can't go here right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like late at night or whatever, and I'm like, this is just getting too intense. Like I've got to, I got to go watch Modern Family or something silly. You know what I mean? Well, um, and it's it's meta in a way too that you're, you know, you're watching him pause and start and pause and start, and like not mm-hmm. that it's influencing you to do the same, but it's like you're complicit in also the inability to start and finish something too. You know, that's which is really like, good. That's yeah. an important point, right? I that's a really to me the the I mean when you're thinking about the rhythm, Nate, like the the stopping and starting dimension of this thing is is like uh, 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 you know i mean very little until the end very little is more than three minutes long like i go like i took different margin notes every time a new scene a new shot occurred Mm -hmm. in the scene and there i mean for a 90 minute special there's probably i don't know 30 of them right like 30 different sort of shots and that's incredible like just in terms of the the pacing of the thing yeah. It is very much so cut like an album, and it, what has been released is just an album. You know, there's the intermission, there's the A side, there's the B side. There's about you know twelve to fifteen songs on each oh, I didn't know that. on each you know side. So yeah. that's I mean that that makes sense. You know, to me, think about it, you know somewhere between like three to five minutes for a song. Yeah, I mean, it almost invites you to pause it and then come back a, a week later, a day later. Yeah, and yeah. I've I've heard like on the metrics on Netflix. So a, a traditional comedy special is what an hour, an hour and fifteen, yeah. and right. it it wants you to watch the whole thing all at once because if right. you were in the live audience, you're not gonna get up, you can't pause it. So it wants you to sort of. But what they found uh, the, in the metrics is that basically the average listening time for anything on Netflix, but particularly comedy specials, is thirty minutes, twenty minutes at a time. So people mm-hmm. are pausing them and then coming back at a later date. And this one, I think, ex- almost explicitly invites you to do that. Oh, it's yeah. not forcing you to keep watching. I mean, you can pause it wherever you want and come back to a later sketch and keep going. I am then what you would call a statistical outlier because I, I can't do that. I, I plow through and you know this one I watched all the way through and then when I realized I had the wrong podcasting time, I started <laughs> it up again. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, you say to did... the day of the podcast, and that's a little. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you had to you have watch incentive. it. Yeah. I know, but I had yeah. no desire you were to. I, had, I mean, been, I'm like this with everything. I never pause things. I never come back to them. I mean, like I'll come back to them to watch them again, but I don't pause and then and pick it back up. Like I, 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 I just like yeah. I have never fallen asleep to a TV show. I have never fallen asleep to the TV on. I have to. I am yeah. like well, completely that's locked in, yeah, and I agree. Weird. 
Yeah. It, it is weird. I know. But it's. That explains it you is. guys are in academia because I, I personally couldn't. My attention span, I mean, again, po- probably generational as well. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I, all the people that I've talked to also have stopped and started. And that kind of goes back to the whole yeah, internet, right. a little bit of everything yeah. all the time. So. Yeah, that's right. That's Throwing right. That Staccato. In there, I, Staccato I couldn't personally. Yeah. 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 But I, was, I wanted to come back to the it being too long. So I, I agree as sort of like a, a tidy you know, content package, it is too long. But think about the number of times he's um, sort of attending to the the industry of content production. And so yeah. all of those little like hitches and glitches and showing the shots of him moving things and the uncomfortable silences and the, on the too longness like is, I, I think, a way of, of like – you know, punctuating those contents and making, I mean, like I, I, in a weird way, liked being made to feel uncomfortable there. Yeah. Yeah. And his ability to put on those different masks, I mean, basically points to his talent as an actor too. Cause I agree with that. when he, when he's pretending to be the branding manager, um, (laughs) yeah, there's, and there's obviously a few others. I mean, he, really embodies those roles and i feel like some viewers probably didn't even pick up on the the irony of 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 certain bits like especially when he's making fun of himself as a a white comedian woke comedian i think a lot of people probably just invested in him like they thought he was being sincere because there are moments of sincerity they're they're kind of few Uh, well i don't know they're sprinkled throughout i don't even know i mean yeah i'm gonna pull back there's a real yeah. That's a real question because, and it relates to this issue for me. It starts with the setting up of the equipment and the showing of the production, right? This, this sort of standard meta move of the last fifty years, which is show the making of the yeah. thing while you're also making it. But of course, there's always a blind spot, right? Like there's always a necessary blind sure. spot in showing that because you can't show the camera, right? If you're showing yourself setting up cameras, there's a camera that you can't show, right? Yeah. Like and and you're you're so there's always that hidden secret portal, like that's always being displaced. So as much and so to me, I'm actually like maybe it's just that I've seen too many of those types of things. It's like, I get that you're showing us that this is uh, uh, artifice, um, but you can't show that it's artifice. Right. Like, you, well, just, you, you just yeah. can't fully do that. And so, therefore, to me, it always sort of fails in its attempt to show you that thing. And I'm like, just get on with the fucking making of the thing, right? right? Like, mm-hmm. I know that this is a special. But, I mean, it very much relates to the question of his own authenticity, right? Like, right. I, I have to believe, and, and this is speculative, and at some level doesn't really matter, but this is fucking unbelievably scripted, like, oh, and, yeah. and rehearsed, and yeah. like, metic- I mean, I, I don't know anything about this guy, but my guess is, this guy fucking meticulously rehearses <laughs> every pause, every, like, you, yeah. could, you should see his you can... earlier specials, because on stage, what he used to do is he would have it where he like I drop my water bottle like he drops his water bottle and then over the loudspeaker it's like I meant to drop my water bottle you idiot then he picks it back up and drops oh, it again. So he's calling attention to the way to the and to that's the artifice of authenticity early in his style. But yeah, I mean right. I totally agree because I think even in setting those things up, there's a performative nature of it. I mean he's fully aware the camera is on. He he had you know the um, what's the word I'm looking for. I mean, essentially, he knew that he was putting a, he edited it together himself. We see that right, it's edited by right. Bo Burnham. Like, he's very right. self-aware that I'm putting this together. There's a, it's not like you're just sitting in his room as much as he wants you to feel that way. But I think, 
I don't know if it's sincerity in the content, but I feel like it's sincerity in form because I think his intention to make it feel sincere is a sincere intention, if that makes sense. But I don't think anywhere throughout the piece there's a level yeah. of sincerity because it is all scripted. That's impossible. I mean, there really, yeah. to an extent, isn't inherent sincerity in any kind of art. Because but that's, it's the artifice of sincerity, yeah, right? Exactly. Like it's, right. It's, yeah. it's one version of artifice. And that doesn't make it fake either, right? That's yeah. To me, that's the important thing. And I think that's what you're getting at is like we tend to want to say either it's fake or or it's real, and I think the interesting thing that he's doing with that is say like, no, 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 sincerity needs to be artificized too, right? right. It needs to be performed also. In, in addition, is true. You know, sincerity, sincerity is, is a mask, sure. right? It's a mask. I mean, like, right. look, the, the guy spent what months writing and testing lighting before he started yeah. recording anything. You yeah. know, you see in some of those clips that are sort of like the insincere, sincere authenticity of the thing being made that you can't see. But, like, he's doing the same song over and over and over oh, and man. over again, right? Yeah. And, oh, you know, oh, and I then, like, I when breathed. you see him... Yeah, that right. one part I where he breathed, says, I breathed, breathed. I breathed too loud. Yeah. Okay. And, and then he beats himself up for it. And you're like, that's a trope, too, right? Like, And, the, you know, what I... So the trope you of the, the meticulous language, preparer. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what I, I mean, you mentioned masks and irony, Nate, and that's, that was one of the first things that hit me, like, probably within the second or third, I texted you about it, John, well, I think I texted both of you about it, that, you know, within, well before the halfway point, I was like, all right, I'm thinking this through that kind of irony, comedy distinction, mm -hmm. where, you know, the ironic you know, as a kind of like the meta move, it takes, you know, it, it meta moves up and then it reflects on the thing that happens, which, you know, he invites you to think that he's doing over That's and right. over and over again. Yes. Except for the, the the problem with irony is that it always requires a kind of a surface or a foundation that is the object of That's reflection, the right? Thing, and then it's, right. it's the real thing that everything else is just a layer on top of, of the other thing. And... It presumes that, okay, like, you know, you, that, that irony actually allows you to make the serious, not serious divide, right. the authentic, right. inauthentic divide. And what I really like about this is he, he doesn't, he, he, he kind of flattens out this, the serious, not serious, authentic, inauthentic, uh, relationship a little bit where he's just wearing them as masks. And, you know, you give yeah. it, it long enough into the series. But not of the masks thing. that hide a real thing, just masks behind masks. Exactly. It's like a closet behind a closet behind the fireplace, or whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, edit that out because that yeah. didn't make the. You know, I don't think that made the, the original one, my, my secret closet. But that's yeah. it. Is, it is that Nietzschean logic of like proliferation yeah. of masks. It's not like there's a real genuine point that you get to behind all of the masks. It's just masks, which also doesn't make it fake. Right? right. It doesn't make it insincere either. Right? Well, I mean, I you know, especially because the way he starts off with sort of really trying to reconcile to pressures on him, which is on the one hand, the world is fucked up. I should probably do something about it. Wait, also my subject position as a white hetero male kind of positions me as the problem. So I do I need to just shut up? You know, that's boring. I got to do something. And, you know, it's that search for, I guess, that kind of holy grail search of trying to find the right. What is the right. the right thing for me to do? And his response to that seems to be to proliferate a series of engagements all while inhabiting different tropes, different 
mask. That's right. right. He does. It's all tro- that's like the songs. It's just a series yeah. of tropes of genres that he does something with each of those genres. I mean, that is that's his mo. I, I agree. But when you start all- taking those genres and those tropes and you start inhabiting them, then like unexpected, interesting things right. start to come out of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Like um, one of my favorites, and this is actually one of the most self-contained. But, um, well, it, it actually happens several times, you know, like the very first one about how, like, you know, he's making some content for you. Right. Like, Daddy made you your content open wide. Open your mouth. Open, right. your, open your mouth, mouth right? right? And that's sort of the, the, the way that desire and eroticism sort of mix interestingly with content production and that sort of like the corporate machinery. But in particular, uh, I think the song was called Problematic, and it's the one where he's reflecting yeah. on previous material that, that like, is not like he he wonders you know if you're going to be, hold him accountable and he's trying to self-reflect on his way out of it but then he self-reflects on the self-reflection which would think you would think that that's you know the ironic you know meta move right that that's right. that's right. reaching above but what I, I mean i just thought that the, the particular intersection of the erotics of that right like you know it's hot to be held accountable and the sort of like being you know the beaten into submission with the sort of like religious like guilt of you know this is what i deserve with the sort of self-reflective like i'm am i in the clear now am i okay now that i self-reflected and you know i've right, kind of atoned atonement, for my the, sins the, the atonement right like and it's right. it's right that that particular chunk i thought was really interesting too for exactly that reason it's super erotic right like it's, yeah it's him in a workout like a sweaty <laughs> workout video um atoning right getting yeah. better right he's atoning yeah. for his or asking for the punishment and it is yeah. the sort of erotics of self-punishment like please punish me um so As that I'm getting I can better feel because better it's the mix it. of like it's like Rocky Balboa preparing right. to you know fight Ivan Drago but it's also you know the like the 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 bad girl like seduction video at the same time that that made me think of though i mean going back to like the catholic church and like the eroticism of jesus and sacrifice and it's like all kind of comes into fruition because i feel like there is an inherent sexuality with being like the sacrificial lamb and that atonement so it's kind of interesting you know it's not even so much him being a good boy because he's you know i'm i'm really I mean, really, it's just the assuming Christ figure, which, again, you know, not to be the Bo Burnham scholar here, but mm. if you've listened to a song from God's perspective, he has a joke before, and he's like, I just want to preface that, like, you know, I don't want my audience to think that I know more than anyone else. Now, here's a song from God's perspective. <laughs> and it's kind of interesting to see that, you know, again, it's like the, it right. all kind of comes together. It is. I mean, look, there are many ways he could have done that song, right? One would be a sort of satire of repentance, we can imagine that. But he went with the total erotics and physicality of repentance. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. Like, that, it gives it that added sense. Now, I'm not sold on the distinction that you're making, Nathaniel, because I also do, I do sometimes feel like he's, he, he remains, often remains content with the sort of pointing out of the ironic distance and the circularity. Uh, Caroline and I were texting about this a little a little while ago of like, you know, being the critic, but also being self-aware of the problems with being the critic, right? And and then he just sort of like abandons. He's just like, ah, fuck it. That's just what it is, right? Like, and, and that, that oscillation recurs. I'm thinking specifically, which a, a segment that I loved as well was the... Um, uh, the the criticism of the worker exploitation thing where he did this the the boxes keep 
proliferating, right? Where he says, I'm going to do the critical, the critical yeah. review moment. And, um, so, and this is, and this to me, when I first watched it, I instantly thought of Nate's interest in Hegelian self-awareness, right? Like that, that to me was a segment that was perfect on, here's what self-awareness looks like. Okay. I did my thing. Right now, I'm going to explain it to you. And in explaining it to you, I'm going to explain like, oh, there's this long history of worker exploitations, but we haven't done it for the 21st century. Right. We, we have it for coal mines like uh, you load 16 tons. And what do you get? Like there's a whole history the of the, yeah. the, that's right, of the worker exploitation. But we don't have it for the, the information economy. And so I took the genre of that song and I plugged in what, what it's like the, uh, the unpaid, in, unpaid intern. intern, the yeah. unpaid intern. Uh, story, which, by the way, you were right, Caroline. Were very recently. <laughs> well, I was. I was thankfully a paid intern. Paid intern. <laughs> though I have taken unpaid internships in the past, and I was very lucky. But again, like also, the irony is when you work for a huge company. Um, that I'm not going to name drop. I mean, people could, you know, track it back. They, I mean, you know, they do treat you well for that reason. But most right. of, like most of my friends, in the entertainment industry, you know, P, I mean, PAs depends. But for the most part, you're not being paid for the work that you're doing. And like, but that's a part of it because in order and of course, it all comes back to privilege, which he obviously touches on yeah. where it's like, you know, if you don't have the financial stability to have an unpaid internship, because that is work that's taking you away from hours that you could work doing a regular job. Yeah, that's right. Like, I mean, you have, I mean, there's just no way that you could possibly get a position if you don't have any industry experience, but to get that, you need free labor. Um, And that's like so blatantly exploited. Sometimes you you have to pay for the internship. Not only is it unpaid, you have to pay thousands of dollars to even participate well, in that's this not true. You get paid in experience. I mean, yeah. That's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank but that's I, the line. And but I mean, but I mean, so so, but so he uses. I mean, that, that's to me the interesting thing is he links it to this genre, this musical genre from fifty years ago of uh-huh. the sort of worker exploitation, and he upstates it for the information economy. But he doesn't just do that because that would be funny, yeah. right? That would be comedic in its conventional sense. He then takes that next move and says, "Oh, I'm going to teach you what I just did." Right, like, and that's the first move, and then the second move, he keeps it running, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, now I see myself teaching you what I just did, and now I see myself seeing myself teaching right, you right. what I just did." So it just all it just amplifies that self reflection until it gets to the point, and and this is the way that it ends: is just stop, right? Mm-hmm. Just just stop now, and that to me, that's that that's the kind of interesting dynamic because I feel like the whole thing is that it is this whole playing out of. Uh, 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 sort of a circumstance and the self-awareness of one's imbrication in the circumstance, even as one's create like a critique and one's imbrication in the critique. And everything that he's doing keeps, you know, uh, keeps returning to that motif. And it, and it never, uh, in a sense, sort of, um, it does feel paralyzing because it's like, it's not because he doesn't provide a solution. He just seems to be so hung up on that problem. Right. And the recurrence of, of that problem. And that's where, to me, uh, Nathaniel wants to read him more positively as saying, actually, what he's pointing out is that there isn't a depth relation between the critique and the self-awareness of critique such that it's this constant oscillation going nowhere, right, the, the circle. Instead, it's just a series of different encounters yeah. that occur, which is, I mean, but I, I'm not sold. I mean, I, I get that. I think that's a more interesting read, but I feel like he is actually more interested in staying trapped in self, self-awareness, self-aware neuroses, right? right? And that becomes, and that's to me exactly why that mental health portion of the last 20 minutes is a problem, is because it's sort of saying, you do, you do cultural critique self-aware enough, you're going to lose your fucking mind. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It's I like, mean, look, I, no, I think to. if we're going to think about like what he's trying to do and, and think in terms of intention and design here, that, well, that, that yeah. very well may be right. I mean, like, I, even, I'm still on the fence because he, all he yeah. does, the irony movie does it, you know, like a number of times, but definitely not in every one, not even no, in every other one. Right. So, yeah. like, I mean, if you're going to and he he plays with the same tropes, you know, a number of times, other other tropes, other than the irony trope, you know, a number of times. And it's just that, you know, we tend to call irony one of the master tropes. <laughs> but, you know, I think he plays with other tropes as, as, I agree. as well. And, I agree. and if you didn't think about it as the, the master trope. But I, where it really kind of solidified it for me was, I think it was in the second half, and it was as it was turning toward his mental health. And it was as he was self-reflecting, and it was about how he... Um, you'd already talked about self-dissociation uh, or total dissociation. And then this one, he's like, I think the line was something to the effect of, you know, I, I Googled um, derealization and didn't like what yeah, I found, what I saw. Right. which was one of the few times I paused it. I was like, okay, I'm going to Google derealization <laughs> as, <laughs> as well. Except I liked what I found because, I mean, it is effectively, you know, the the inability to sort of ground reality in the real and sort of like taking, especially the, the digital virtual real divide mm -hmm. and looking yeah. at, at the you know, end, the, yeah. the world in these sort of um, uh, virtual tropological figures. Right. And like, that's all the real is. All the real is are, are tropological figures that have calcified in a particular kind of, of, of way. Right. And he is experimenting with those, with those tropes. And, you know, he has another one kind of in line with, um, you know, worker exploitation, and he talks about the real, the, the tactile, you know, physical universe as a coal mine that you for go to, to get your material. Yeah, you, you dive down, get your material, bring it back to yeah. the surface, and then play it out. And the, the most constant thing that I think that he does are take particularly take recognizable internet tropes like the reaction video, the Twitch live stream, the Instagram, the like a number of these TikTok, like a number of these these things. And then he puts them in conversation, he puts them in alliances that we don't that they don't tend to get put into. Like what happens when the reaction becomes the reaction becomes the reaction to the reaction or what happens when the Twitch live streaming is, you know, watching yourself in a live cinema gaming. <laughs> I, yeah, I, you, congratulations, you cried four times. I wish they wouldn't make the, the hint so obvious, right? And he's like really inhabiting, like he sounds like a yep. Twitch gamer. He sounds like a... No, I agree. Uh, right? But he sounds like the social media brand consultant. Yeah. But much like the Bob Odenkirk, you know, um, David Cross, uh, um, you know, the show thing, is that it always is pushing those tropes to a point where if the trope feels a bit unrecognizable to itself, it's sort of like mutated into something else because it's weirdly remained yeah. faithful to the thing. That's that's a better. I mean, I can be honest with you. I like your reading better than mine. Like, I really do because, really, because for instance, to me, like his opening question, 
why joke about this or what can you no. joke about this? And, and given his, given, you know, white guy status, right? Like I, I sort of felt like he just kind of throws his hands up and like, well, I don't fucking know. As opposed to your, your reading would say, actually you make a fucking video like yeah. he proceeded to do for the next 85 minutes, which is, which is to say, all you can do is operate in this ambiguous space where you are participating in the thing that you're creating. That's the only option. Right, like you you're have to learn. You're part of the problem. You have to be part of the problem. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the depression, the sincerity, the crying, the everything right. where you feel yeah, like you're breaking better. through to the authentic. They're just other tropes that he's deploying, yeah. which doesn't make them, as you said, doesn't That's make right. them fake. Doesn't, make doesn't, them doesn't, fake. Put them, doesn't mean that they're the same thing as a silly tropes or whatever else, right? They can still be, you know, quite heavy hitting. Yeah. But you know, he's. He, these are all tropes that he's mobilizing. And like to me, the, the, as you said, the special, the movie itself is the response to that more fundamental question is like, yeah. I'm stuck inside for a year. I'm yeah. going to make this thing and, you know, I'm going to like deal with like heavy, depressing, you know, I want to put a bullet in my head shit. Right. right? And I'm going to deal with the crazy ass techno music and, you know, pretend to be a Twitch streamer for a little bit. And, it's not just silly. It's not just folly. Uh, I, I'm kind of losing my mind, but it's also creating a livable, interesting space for me. That that's a much better because then then the sort of self reflexivity instead of just oscillating between surface and depth, surface and depth becomes serial, right? It becomes yeah. serialized, and it's just like okay, here's the next thing, and the next thing, and the next segment, and the next segment, and it actually would go a long way to explaining the staccato quality. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's the constant stop and start is the sort of thinking that you're getting to a depth uh, level or a height of transcendence, a space of purity of some kind outside of like standing now outside of the comedic. I can reflect on what the role of the comedic is, you know, or what the role of the white guy is like. Th that's not an option. Right. It's there yeah. is no. So so that's to me, that's a much more interesting point was is that it's showing you the necessary imbrication of one's actions in the very thing that one is critiquing and that that's not a pro that's not like a failure that's just the case like there's he no never space accesses of... a meta meta reflective height yeah, or an authentic real that grounds anything else and that's by the way what most i think i think that um nanette that, does that mm -hmm. i think that dave Chappelle does that i think i don't think that the bob odenkirk you know, David Cross stuff does that, but Bojack Horseman does that, I think, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I think a lot, especially can't like stand up comedy specials, you know, like, I mean, comedy is for all of its sort of like perverse, sub, like subversive potential. I tend to find it to have as a genre, usually a very conservative force where it, it takes the, the outlier modern, and modern it makes. Family. Yeah, it's, it makes fun. Yeah, it, it, totally it takes the outlier and it makes fun of the thing and pulls back to a common senseness, right? I think John yeah. Stewart is an excellent example of that, yeah. right? And, and, and frankly, um, uh, Stephen Colbert when he was doing the Colbert Report, except for he inhabited the ridiculous side of it in order to give you glimpses of the common sense thing that he would like you to move toward. Yeah. No, I think that's a very, I, I like that. I, that's better than mine. I still am going to have a hard time with the move to the personal, though, because it just feels like, you know, it, it, if, if there had been one additional segment that returned to a cultural critique moment, like if, if for instance, the, the white woman Instagram sketch had been the final sketch instead yeah. of embedded early on, right, it would have been like, okay, 
going through this sort of personal mental deterioration comes out as like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna continue to serially produce my problematic and and uh, difficult uh, critiques of mm -hmm. social structures that I'm participating in, even as I'm critiquing them. Right, like I'm making a fucking video that's going to go out on Netflix, Netflix while I'm critiquing internet culture, right? And that's but that's the only way. That's not the difference. Is that's not paralyzed. That doesn't have to be paralyzing. It's only paralyzing if you see it in that surface surface depth relation. It's like no, that's the only thing you can do. You know. I was just going to add too, though. It is interesting coming back to our question of like whether or not it's really a comedy, because John, your comment about you know it doesn't feel right that it goes it devolves from you know the critical cultural to the personal yeah. because it's more yeah. linear and we're so used to with comedy i mean you know comedy comes in threes and of course the most impressive thing a stand-up comic can do is they you know call back to something earlier in the set and it's this right. big moment right. because we all remembered it um but i think what's really interesting though with bo burnham and honestly kind of like the antithesis of annette because i know well it might have been annette or it could have been another special by hannah gadsby where she mentions um i mean to be honest i was uh drinking a little bit when i watched the two of them because i needed a <laughs> needed a kind of you know ease my nerves with that but where she i don't again i don't remember which one it was specifically but she outlined exactly what she was going to do like in in pretty much like shocking right. and then at the end she actually does it and the whole time you're like oh my god she did it and she even like you know but in the opposite you know you don't really know what he's going to do but you do to an extent you got these motifs and you got these themes but it, it's interesting because it, you know, if what we consider a comedy, and I know I'm just kind of, like, going against what I initially had said, where it's, you know, okay. it's still comedy, but it's a different kind, um, you know, at the very, you know, it's it's a linear de-evolution of this, and there really mm -hmm. isn't a conclusive ending, um, and I kind of lost my train of thought as I was saying it, probably, no, but there isn't, there isn't a <laughs> I mean, but there isn't a conclusive ending, and he obviously does that quite intentionally, right, like, mm -hmm. he, he leaves, and then he's trapped outside, but then he's actually watching himself being trapped outside, and there's a little bit of a smirk at the end that, of course, is the Mona Lisa move, right, yeah. like, we could interpret that in, in multiple different ways, and we get that, the, the, you know, and, and I, whatever. I he mean, liked that was, it. He's like, yeah. I'm so yeah. depressed, I'm so depressed, that was fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, right. It's fucking funny that when he finally gets out of that house he's now locked out right? <laughs> right. the, the sort of the cruelty humor right like yeah i mean it, it can be he's funny or can, you know that that sort of but, but, more, but, but more to like the, the the want to turn this into a project of living is like after yeah, that's right i mean after spending what 20 minutes of a kind of turning more to the personal more to the depressive mm -hmm. and then the last thing he does is smiles like i did all this this well, is this is fucking funny it also comes back, though, and this is kind of tapping onto the thought that I was trying to finish, but then I lost my train of thought, but I'm kind yeah. of halfway hopping back on, is, like, it's almost as if, like, it's the, and I say fruition a lot of his career, but the fruition of the set in and of itself, because there's that line, I believe, in Problematic, where he says exactly, he's like, you know, why, or maybe it is, pro I don't know which one it is, but he right. says that, like, why is it that white people always feel the need to look at, you know, any kind of social justice issue as a is, inch, uh, personal instance Personal actualization, self-actualization. Exactly. Yeah, that was and, Mr. And Sacco. Mr. Sacco said that to exactly. him. Exactly. Yeah, and that's right. exactly what he does, though, is because he takes that's all right. these cultural problems, and at the very end of the set, it's all about Bo it's and Bo's self-actualization. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of the end of it, and that's how it ends, and it's, you know, he's demonstrating, like, what he'd put out. So I guess in some ways he does kind of call back to it not necessarily maybe intentionally i don't really know um but it's less of a, a comedic special more of just like the unraveling of a person and not in a in a way that it's like oh this is how i unraveled but again back to that performative nature of like this is how we unravel societies we start with critique and we start with like this kind of lighter still dark comedy 
And at the very end, we're just in this massive hole that comes back to like, well, how do I fit into this? How does this affect me? Because we're all just a bunch of narcissists. And then of course, at the very end, that little wink of like, and most importantly, how am I going to perform this on social media? How am I going to dig up this content from my real life and put it into the digital space, which is honestly in a way more real and more relevant than what we actually exist in. Like there are, I mean, there are a number of ways, but let's say there are two ways of of mobilizing tropes, right? The the one is in that Hannah Gatsby kind of way where the way that she's describing to her audience is like, look, all comedians work through tropes. We work through these structures. We like we're able to build tension and then allow for release and then, you know, really good ones. They hide how they're doing it. It's the kind of Spartatura thing where, you know, it just seems so effortless that, you know, this thing that I'm doing in the third act calls back to something in the first act and changes it a little bit. But, you know, it's like, but now everything is complete, right? And it looked effortless. I dropped the bottle right at the right time. And then I let everyone know that I, and then Hannah Gatsby tells you, and I knew it and I'm showing you how I'm doing it. And you still think it's incredible, right? I don't, I don't see Burnham doing that over the, in, in the macro, in, in the, in the sort of like stages and sets, I, I see him wearing the tropes on their sleeves, right? I mean, because of the sort That's of. That's the more interesting reading, I think. Right. That, like the, 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 the kind of, um, satiristic, but again, not in that sort of like heights level. It's like, I'm going, I'm going to wear, you know, the genre that I am sort of inhabiting on its sleeve and then it's going to go in, in kind of, weird ways and i'm not going to give you a sense it's sort of an interesting distinction you make though because the the performance of effortlessness is kind of key to most live comedy like with someone like Chappelle, he's known for being able to come into a room not be prepared at all and make everybody falling out of their seat for an hour with brand new material you know and this was like effortful there was nothing effortless about this special it was calling attention to the process again and again how much work he was putting into it how many iterations of every sketch you know he did so it's like that the performance of putting effort into comedy is something you don't traditionally see and i think that uh changes the obviously the viewing experience as well yeah that's kind of a yeah cool. i totally agree yeah yeah you know because obviously Chappelle doesn't come in unprepared it doesn't just throw out you know total it was like everything has been meticulously workshopped right 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 yeah yeah, yeah. but it, you, it feels that way mm-hmm. yes yeah, the con it's the, it's the, the this did Chappelle is the figure of spread there. exactly and this special did feel like and it packaged itself like this as almost like a survival kit for yeah, for right. Bo Burnham, like he had to do mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. This was what like propelled him through that year, year and a half, however long he was alone. He had to make something, and this is what he happened to be able to make during that time. Mm-hmm. Which it was, it's extremely impressive. I mean, right. you guys are talking through like different theoretical um, lines that you could kind of pull out yeah. of Burnham. I don't think I really had much of a reading of it in that sense, I was more attuned to the, the composition of the thing. I was more just impressed with like, like for example, the, uh, the, when he does the reaction video and then the, the reaction right. on the reaction video and it keeps right. going to infinity, I wasn't really, like, I was like, okay, th- the content of that is interesting, but what's more interesting is like, how did he actually make that? 
which it must yeah. have taken so much time to to detail yeah. and orient those videos on top of each other. And he does that in multiple times where he like- That's so had, funny, because yeah. I never thought of that at all. For me, I instantly, the moment it came up, I'm like, even when he was in the first window, I remember watching it, even before the second window came up, I was like, oh, this will be perfect for Nate on self-reflexivity. Right, <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't, I don't know. I mean, I get what you're saying. Like it's a, it's a sufficiently intellectual and it brands itself as an intellectual comedy special. Right, but, but I, it's also I, a production. Yeah, yeah. But I, I found it, the composition of the thing was what I kept, cause I make music too. And I was like, man, he is, right taken a lot of time to make all these songs all the transitions all the cutting and pasting yeah. the callbacks yeah. you know and so on i don't know if it, it's a relevant thought on that but what i i had i mean there was a part of me from a production element that i thought that too but more so from a, a personal and a covid perspective feeling like a real piece of shit because i'm like wow what did i do during this time like i sat around and i went on tiktok you know i had a couple of white claws and watched the shining with some friends and yet at the same time the irony too is that we're watching someone go through a breakdown and it's not a pleasurable experience to watch him and these uncomfortable silences and yet there was a strange envy in the level of quality that this breakdown yeah, was because yeah, yeah. it's not like we're watching him on an iphone just kind of like you know being a dick like it's like the the fact that it's so intelligent and so well, well produced yeah. for being as yeah. heavy as it is well a so real it's like, yeah a yeah. real breakdown doesn't end up on netflix yeah so yeah, you know, of course, of course. He, he managed the breakdown sufficiently through this composition process oh, yeah. you know? but, I, but that's the point like i had zero oh, yeah. investment about whether or not the the, the breakdown is real or not like i mean yeah, I, I, again like very early on it, it kind of just signaled to me right that this is you know, everything in here is artifice and that, and so remaining in, in, in that, in that sphere, right. um, which isn't to say that, you know, he it's wasn't, fair. yeah, which isn't oh, to say right. that he didn't, wasn't like, having serious mental trouble, just that the therapy was doing this yeah, thing. Right. You can well, tell. See, look, yeah. I mean, here's at the level of identification, which I mean, you know, on one level, who gives a fuck about our abilities to identify with various things? But mm -hmm. that's what we did, guys. We made a podcast during pandemic. Like, uh, that's, mm -hmm. we did, we, I mean, look, we don't have nearly the production value. <laughs> we don't have the content yeah. and the viewership and we don't, but that's what we did. And it was the same motivation, remember? Like, right. a, you know, a, a little over a year ago, roughly about yeah. now, this is about the year anniversary. We were like, hey, let's just fucking do something. Right. It, it points to the importance of having a project, especially yeah. when you're isolated. I mean, to be able to be on your own and have any kind of repose or comfort day to day, you have to have something to do, something that's driving you, that's like mm -hmm. takes hours and hours each day. And a lot of people don't have that. Bo Burnham is lucky enough that he has the the technical skills, the uh, the comedic skills to be able to work on. Most people wouldn't even know how to start to work on something like that, including me. I, I like the video. I, I mean, I, I it's beyond it's my technical level. capabilities, yeah. you know. It really is. But but yeah. for me, like we we could do this. Writing takes just Microsoft Word, and that can right. occupy enough of your time. So you know, you right. need to have a. That's the importance post-COVID even, people need to find projects, <laughs> not just like the day job or whatever. Like if you're on your own, you need to have something to do. <laughs> <laughs> and and in, within yeah. the context of those projects, 
wrestling with the necessarily like ethical ambiguity of participating in right. any way. Like, okay, you're gonna you're gonna do cultural critique. Well, who? What am I? I'm you know uh, a middle aged straight white guy gonna do cultural critique. Well, that doesn't mean you shouldn't do cultural critique. That's one of the things that he considers. Is like, well, maybe I should just shut the fuck up. And then he's like, nope, gonna keep yeah, going. I'm bored. Um, right, I'm yeah. bored. You know, it's like it's not don't do it. It's you can only do it and simultaneously recognize the impossibility of the purity of your position, right? right. Like, um, so yeah, you still speak from a position and people are going to respond and they're going to say whatever they want to say. That's his whole, the whole problematic thing is like, you're bracketing the, the erotics of the desire. The content of it is, is about like, look, I said a bunch of shit when I was younger that I didn't really mean. I mean, it wasn't illegal, but it was pretty bad and it was thoughtless. And what does one do with that? I mean, it raises... To me, that whole kind of what's called cancel culture question, right? Like, uh, and, and frankly, for me, I mean, that was one of the questions that I wanted to put to you guys because that cancel culture is a term that comes up, and mm -hmm. I don't really know what it means, right? Like, I, I mean, I, in fact, it seemed to me that it kind of came up when it became a conservative critique against, like, the term oh, yeah. itself came up when it became a conservative critique against what it perceived as liberals who yeah. were who are pursuing this cancel culture. So I don't really know. Because in this case, it's like, what would cause us to cancel him or whatever would be previous videos that he's made, like his work. But it seems to me like a lot of cancel culture is about the extra work biographies of people. Like, mm -hmm. not things that they do in their movies or in their comedy shows, but things right. that they do out, you know, in their life outside of the comedy well, show. Yes right. and no. Because I, I will don't know. say... Cancel culture has devolved. I think most prominently cancel culture more so took off, I would argue, with the Me Too movement because cancel culture kind of started as holding right. people accountable who weren't previously held accountable for things because they had this kind of absurd power. And now it's kind of devolved to this point of canceling someone for, to some extent, just being, I mean, again, like I look at it as, you know, a person should be quote unquote, I mean, I don't like using the word canceled, but held accountable for doing something that would get you fired from any other job. Like if you were to assault someone, if you were blatantly racist, et cetera. And now it's kind of getting to this point where it's not a matter of being canceled for having those qualities or doing things that kind of toe the line of breaking the law or things that would get you fired, but purely just not being a good person. We don't like I'll you. Yeah, exactly, yeah. which comes back to this whole weird ideology where it's like, you know, why do we care so much about artists to the point that they have to be a good person outside of not being, you know, right. a criminal or like a horrible, you know, irate people kind of person, but just, uh, you know, they're, yeah, they have some shitty takes on things. And like, why do we take these artists so seriously and hold them to the standard that they have to be perfect when... A, this is a cliche thought, we are clearly not. I mean, my answer to that, you know, reason of why we are that way is I think a lot of it is social media and being, you know, intertwined with your personal and your professional life so much so that your characters that you perform are reflective on you. And I think especially as a comedian, it's not like, like yes, Bo Burnham is playing a character as Bo Burnham, the comedian, right. but it's still his name, it's still his image. So coming back to like him, whether or not, you know, he's worthy of being canceled if that was kind of the question it's an interesting one because everyone looks for an apology with cancellations but at the same time what does that really do you know like what is a recognition of those things especially if you can tell this person self-aware enough and i don't really know the answer to that well, what is, i mean nathaniel just did the gesture right it's the self-flagellation of yeah, yeah. right like yeah. I'm, i'm guilty i'm not worthy but it, but it's the I'm guilty I'm not worthy thing that makes the I I think mm -hmm. in this and there's the there's the particular line in the that problematic one that I think works really well to destabilize the meta reflective thing where you know 
first he talks about uh, uh, the, the wearing the Aladdin costume. Then he's like, you know, I, I then he reflects on it. It's I like didn't wear I, black I, I didn't darken my skin, but it still feels wrong. You know, I was a kid, but I've grown up. And then he reflects on the reflection, and he's like. I, I, self-reflection doesn't buy you out of anything. My actions are my own. And that would, that, that pose, that would, that could be a space where he reaches the sort of meta-reflective heights of, you know, the proper awareness of something, right? Except that it's embedded with this entire song about being held accountable mm-hmm. and the guilt erotic relationship that is getting questioned at the core, right? So yeah, so there there is that kind of move back to the the, the, the sort of the the um, the, the it's just of the endless end. circle of critique, self awareness. Except for you don't come back to it the same. I get and that. like yeah. so, what I think that you know the, the the dominant tension is between accountability and eroticism, right? But I think what that line sort of ent- like um, uh, uh, adds to the mix. Is sovereignty as well as a sense of the I as a persistent object that even is capable of being held accountable? What was I mean? Think from from the Nichean perspective. What would it even mean to say that the I of seventeen, you know, wearing the Aladdin costume and the right. I is, of a, is, is accountable at is, age thirty? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, they're not even the same person. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, is terrifying to think I'm not the same person I was, you know, at, at, at seventeen at a at a kind of an ontological level, right? But part of what's ha- what part of what happens with so with you know what let's call it like very loosely the postmodern movement, especially in in art where the um, where the, the line between character and actor, you know, that razor. Think about like Ryan Reynolds in, in Deadpool or something like yeah. that. He makes where, a joke about that Deadpool level know, of self awareness. Yep. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Right, which for him is sort of like weak sauce. That, that <laughs> it is. You know, I know. That's right. Right. It's, it, yeah, the, it, it was a great. You know, I mean, as much as I love Deadpool and Ryan Reynolds, yeah, me too. But Ryan Reynolds is the iron. That's right. Right. He is. Yes. And he's like, that's like, but that's that's actually producing the real Ryan Reynolds, right? Because right? right. we know you're wearing a mask, and even when you're meta reflecting on wearing the mask, that's I, right. You know that there's something in there, true and or real, true, behind, right? It. Yes. And I think what he's doing, and well, I mean, I don't care. I don't know the he. I don't even know what it mean to say there right, is a he right. that's doing the thing in this right. context. But what's happening in that song is that like the very like desire there's there's an erotics to the desire for an eye which is pretty essentially linked to punishment punishment right yeah, yeah, yeah. i must i, mean, I, I must go i must yeah. be punished yeah. the only thing yeah, spank me so i can be a real boy only, not so i can be a good boy but i want to be a real boy the only thing kind of funny about that song and and part of the part of the special to me is that bo burnham is like one of the least offensive least controversial comics mm-hmm. that i can think of at least of some of the like the more popular comedians like people like Jezelnik or like there's this whole movement Tim Dillon there's these people that are saying things that should get them canceled you know what I mean Bo Burnham is not has not as far as I know said anything that would get him canceled besides just being a white straight male which I guess makes you vulnerable I guess to some extent in this context I just feel like he's not problematic you know like the, the comedy is not problematic at well, all. what what uh, well what is the like I know nothing right like in terms of I don't know history any of these like what is I mean what is his story like has he you you said Caroline in one of your comments to me that that he is sort of 
he exists on this. He's both been canceled and not canceled, maybe depending on who you ask. I mean, what I, yeah. I don't know anything about well, him. Well, I mean, again, the, the things that, again, he has been canceled for, because, you know, like you can kind of imagine, he's always been a, a very self-aware artist. And I actually saw this article that, you know, when he first came out and was like, you know, in the spotlight saying that his like, it was called like pubescent comedy music writing. And it is both like, uh, like abhorrent and entertaining in a weird folksy way and that's kind of always been his brand and he's always yeah. owned that um but in a sense that he's been canceled it's like there more recently i guess like you know with the gen z audience like for instance like white woman's instagram it's like is he making fun of women or like then there was another you know part where it's like well no like he's like saying that like the instagram is the only sphere that people can express himself and i'm jealous of women for not having that I mean, I don't think that was really it at all. I don't really know exactly what it is, but I don't even think it was that deep in a way. And also, like, who gives a shit, uh, to be honest, because it's like, yeah. I, I don't know. I think, sorry, I, again, I'm... But I, to, me, to me, it's just, yeah. the, I, I like that sketch. Uh, to me, the whole yeah. thing was a satire about the cliched quality of individuality. Well, right? yeah, like well they, also just they, social media being everybody has, like, you know, this is like the, the standard right. textbook. This is who I am. Here, I'm going to perform both mm-hmm. lyrically and visually mm-hmm. the tropes yeah. of, yeah. you know, of and this, the background this emergent of it. genre. But making yeah. that, sorry, uh, but just oh, real quick, making that particular sketch palatable to a woke or progressive audience is the white. If, he, if it was just women's Instagram, mm-hmm. you could never make that sketch you would never be able to sell that, but putting the what qualifying it as white oh, women, yeah, you're allowed you're to right. make fun of white women. Women, right. no. Black people, no. Any other ethnicity or creed or whatever, you're not allowed to target right. people. But white women are still an allowable uh, target in this. Well, because you have the context. Karens. I mean, you have like right. you know, and again, obviously, the inherent <laughs> the, the existence of that category is exactly the thing he's talking about. Exactly. Like, right. That that category emerges at a historical moment. It's like, okay, this is still a group that you're allowed to target and give a, a, right. a degrading name to, even if the name is, you know, a proper name. Like, well, you know. and if, there's also been, you know, discussion too on like, not even necessarily cancellation in the sense that I guess when I say Bo Burnham's been canceled and not canceled, the the I wouldn't even consider them genuine genuine cancellation because what I consider a, a person to be canceled is. You, like I said, someone who's being held accountable for something they should have been held accountable right. a long time Louis ago. CK. I, I, yeah. And most yeah, people yeah. are canceling him on his content, but just because something's offensive, does that mean it should be canceled? Because on one hand, and again, there's different levels of it. You know, for instance, if someone were to use the N-word, like, yeah, right. they that's, you yeah. know, pretty fucked up. But, but that's also, I mean, because to me, again, and maybe I'm holding on to an antiquated distinction here, mm-hmm. is that... You know, when I think of the sort of emergence of the Me Too, it was you know the Woody Woody Allen, like it was it was things people had done outside of their art, yeah, like yeah. in their personal lives mm-hmm. that were abhorrent, right, and reprehensible. But it wasn't their art that was, and their art was obviously impacted by that. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like people were saying your movie was offensive or your you know whatever well, after like the your fact, comedy after the fact right. they would attribute the fact, it, yeah, right, yeah. So it was it was extra extra textual you might say right like and it was in in a sense it was this kind of collapsing of the whole personal and professional which is he's doing right he goes from becoming a brand personal right like yeah well yeah i mean Uh, and even looking at artists too like you said it's all retrospective because like 
you know, you look at Roman Polanski and that's Roman Polanski, right. but now, you know, right. a lot right. of his content to an extent, I wouldn't right. say is being canceled, but is more heavily critiqued knowing yeah. who he is versus Absolutely. a Quentin Tarantino who isn't technically canceled, has some right. pretty creepy, you yeah. know, weird angles Absolutely. of feet. And we're like, well, that's fine. But, you know, when we find out, like, you know, he pulls an army hammer and he's eating them and like yeah. assaulting girls and eating right. feet. It's like, well, that's a different right. story. So it, it is definitely like in the conversation. Yeah. I mean, hey, right. we don't know. Right. I mean, I don't want to predict anything. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. But, but it's, what you're talking about is sort of like someone doing jokes in yeah. their, you know, in their routine or in their show yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. that is offensive, which is right. to me a different kind of question. Well, and, and that's the thing, know. but I do think that that it has evolved though, where as like I yeah. said, initially yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like, yeah. it's now at the point that both your content and your person, because they can't be extricated anymore, given mm-hmm. social media and kind of this weird influencer celebrity culture, that now it doesn't matter whether it's your content or whether it's your person. Now, I mean, again, it's all varies depending on what you've done or if it's more personal or more content oriented. But like, for whatever reasons, and I, I don't say I even agree with them, but there is now in conversations, at least a, a basis to be canceled, right. if your content is at a certain level of being offensive, yeah. which I just think is really interesting, especially in the comedic sphere, when like what we said you know, in the beginning of the conversation, like the yeah. point of comedy is trying to give you that almost a guilty space that you can laugh at something because you're like, oh, like yeah. it's a joke, it's fine. Like I, if I were to talk about this, you know, in a serious tone, you know, all bets are on the table. So I have to assume that, you know, in comedy I can laugh and I won't be canceled for. Actually, another yeah. interesting Bo Burnham bit is where he gets the audience to say the N-word and the way that he does it, which actually this is also another reason he got canceled was he said, like, chips go good with, like, crackers. And then he was like, or he said, when I say peanut, like, peanut, butter. And then he goes, Vin. And people say the N-word. But again, it was like, and then he turns on the lights and he goes, all right, you guys are all, like, canceled. This was, like, I think in 2016. He's like, all right, you guys are all canceled. Call the cops. Show the cameras. Like, your grandchildren are going to know you're bigots, you know? And, like, and in a way, it was like, on one hand, there was just the level of getting the audience to say the N-word. On the other hand, it was like critiquing cancel culture was almost a cancellation because it's like, oh, so you're making fun of the genuine reasons people have had been to cancel. And you're saying now that cancel culture is just you can make anybody do it. Anyone can be canceled. But also there is kind of some truth to that to an extent. You know, again, it's it's like talking in circles. But I mean, there is an interesting way in which and I'm thinking like in the small terrain of our world of literary studies, let's say, in which authorial intention has been at least theoretically a kind of problem for 40 mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of, you know, a lot of folks, and I would include myself in this, are like, look, the author's biography is kind of irrelevant. Like, I, it doesn't matter very much. Unless, unless what you're trying to do is understand the work, but for the most part, we're not trying to understand the work. Like, what we're doing now, we're not trying to understand, you know, start to finish every dimension of this thing. Um, it, we are, like, using some points and riffing off of them mm-hmm. about, you know, whatever it is that we're, we're talking about. But, so for the most part, there's this way in which the sort of author, author's biography has become, um, I don't know, like, l- maybe less conceptually sophisticated way of approaching literary studies. Plenty of people still do it, so it's mm-hmm. not like it's gone away. Well, but in, in, in the yeah. larger culture, mm-hmm. it's like we've, author, like, authorial intention has become the... Right. Yeah, like, in other words, you know, you, one might have a great movie or a great book or a great whatever, but we want to know who the person was. We want to know, like, could you even have a Thomas Pynchon today, right? Like, a, yeah. someone who writes in totally anonymity. Recluse. You well, know, I mean, um, even, it's funny you mention that, because one of my English classes in college we had a similar discussion of like, would Chaucer, I mean, well, obviously he might've been, but like, you know, there's the whole thing where whether or not Chaucer raped 
people. And it's like, but also, you know, and talk about today, does that matter when reading Chaucer? Should it matter? Should we talk about it? And it's, it's a really interesting perspective on like, especially like in history, like we've never cared more about an author and they're tied to the work. I mean, I always look up a director after I watch the film, especially when it's something about women. I'm like, did a woman direct it, you know? And sometimes I can tell. But with that being said, I think this conversation is really interesting because we're not just critiquing his art in the sense that like, oh, he made this and we're looking at him as a person. But in a sense to talk about it, you have to talk about him because it, he makes it so personal, you he can't does. not I mean, he, assume he sort of, in a way. Yeah, in, in a way, he invites it. But I think part of the thing is that that's the sort of social media world, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah. the the dissociation of like my professional content, what I put out there in my sort of theory world, and my books and articles and podcasts or whatever, can't be separated from my interaction with my neighbors. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, like, about the pretending to be good that everybody does, both on the internet. The, the whole corporate world, like, I, I don't watch a lot of commercials except when I'm watching the NBA Finals, you know, mm-hmm. which is on right now. And all commercials are so sinister, right, because they sure. perform sincerity, right? So, mm-hmm. like, Starbucks pretends to be for the people or, you know, whatever. Like, Wheat Thins cares about black people. And it's, like, it's it's completely... Like perform- Lyme disease. Right, though, no, yeah, yeah, Wheat Thins. Join join our effort against Lyme disease, which I had last year. So I, I thought I know, that, I sketch, thought that sketch was so... you feel good so, about yourself? Yeah, yeah, it was so funny to me. <laughs> Well, there was a whole joke about how every, uh, there was a picture, it's like literally the day, like a minute after like the last day of Pride had passed, you see all the company's logos change back from the rainbow, which... Well, that's that happened last year. Mm -hmm. I mean, so in Canada, that or at least in Halifax, that happened Mm -hmm. last year, and there was so much backlash that now like people put up the rainbow and it stays, right? Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, what you would, on the one hand, you think... Wonderful. Everyone's now even woker. But it's like, yeah. no, now you just perma thingified pride. It's right? just like it, it's a, it's yeah. a permanent you made it, Yeah, you made it another commodity. consumer product. It's like, yeah, exactly. yay, like buy our absolute vodka because it's rainbow now. Like, I mean, yeah. you're, you're yeah. using civil pride, rights to, uh, to sell cereal. stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, or I love, of course, which Bo Burnham even gets into is the whole, you know, just performance activism of like, during Black Lives Matter, I mean, like, every person on my feed, even myself included for a little while until I just stopped posting simply because it was like, you know, there was even posts saying, I see you if you're not posting. And then you're like, oh, God, like, now right, I have right. to post because my friends notice me. So then I would start posting and I got to this point where I'm like, okay, but, like, I'm donating on my own. Like, I'm, you know, doing my own thing. Yeah. Why do I care if other people know that? If I'm, you know, feel fine about myself and it comes back to this weird little, like, everyone must know that, like, I'm so woke. And it's like, but that's not helping anybody that's not doing anything and it's like and if anything you're still selling you're like the corporation because you're just selling your own image of yourself like look at me like i'm the best brand can i uh, just to jump in on that question there you are i'm back sorry i had to to switch switch devices but to but but i think it's important that we hold on to the same stuff that we were talking about in terms of the ambiguity of the position when it comes to corporate relationship to social issues as well right Mm -hmm. like because it's very easy to say what i i just came in right at the end there but it's very easy to say like the kind of thing that i'm hearing you guys saying which is like corporations are really just about profit and therefore they're not being sincere or genuine in their commitment to uh to social issues because social issues are finally about 
you know, just a way of branding themselves. That's the, the, the mm-hmm. branding thing. But I think that if we're going to do that for that sort of personal, social, and the question of comedy, we should do it for corporations as well, mm-hmm. which is to say, like, yeah, the corporation, the corporate America, is not, it's not just a question of, like, they're cynically participating in social orders in order to increase brand awareness, in order to sell more products. It's like, but that's, that's what all social action is, is mm-hmm. this ambiguous or impure relationship to the political you know, and so therefore, why would the why would corporations be any more uh, um, bad guys, like you right. know, uh, th- than than uh, Bo Burnham is for doing self-aware comedy, you know? Yeah. I, look, I like yeah. look. I, I do agree to the extent that it doesn't mean they're good you know, guys either. It, you have right. to hold on to that sense of. Like, say everybody's yeah. the bad guy. Yeah. I mean, at some level. Well, start, start plugging rainbows guy. into corporations and, you know, despite the fact that they're engineered to increase profit margins, they might also do other things as well. Right, I totally, exactly. Right, yeah. I, 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 I totally agree with that and that's, you know, there might be... Like and and, and of- I, I mean, my general take is like we live in a moment of capitalism mm-hmm. in which corporate activity is the only way to make anything happen. Like anything yeah. in terms of social impact, you have to have billionaires pissed off yeah. because mm-hmm. you and me, like the best we can do is is work to generate anger by billionaires. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the best that we can do. And it, once the billionaires get pissed off, then things might things actually begin to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. But. Right. Yeah, no, it's inter- Well, I was going to, yeah, say too, I mean, because it's like on the flip side, well, if they did absolutely nothing, you know, not only is that A, not helping anyone, but it's like, well, now the people who, well, and again, but it also kind of comes back to, you know, again, obviously, a lot of companies, it makes sense why they do it. Like, for instance, I didn't know this, uh, Barella, it's that pasta brand, apparently, like, Barilla, made yeah. some racist remarks back in the day. They're, apparently, they were racist, so it's like, in that sense, it's like, oh, hello, dog. Um, you know, it's Rude. necessary for them to, to put something out there to redeem themselves and, you know, make those people, those consumers, on one hand, aware that, like, hey, like, we're better now, we're not the, the assholes that were running the company before, right. but, of course, be, uh, of course, to, like, you know, sell pasta. Um, but that being said, it's like, but that cycle kind of, you know, it didn't really start from, like, an apologist perspective. It was obviously profit. Right. That's and right, we're used and that to matters. It. And we're accustomed to it, but if they weren't, and now because that we are accustomed to that mode of activism by branding yourself in such a way to say, like, I'm with you, if they were to do it, then the flip side would be, well, now they're just, you know, homophobic, now they're just That's racist. Right. The, the basic irony, I'll let you go after this, Nathaniel, sorry. Go, go, <laughs> go for to, it. <laughs> like, so the, the definition of being woke basically is attending to systemic structures that have oppressed mm-hmm. people. It's like basically paying attention to that and somehow trying to change that. The, the really flat, basic irony about corporations trying to be woke is that they profit and benefit almost exclusively on exploitation, mm-hmm. exploitation yeah. of labor. And so if yeah. they're trying to make a stand on a social issue, which is usually about some version of exploitation and trying to remedy that, they are doing that every day, all day. You know, but it's that's like, the point. But that's the point is the necessary impurity, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. in other words, so I'm... I'm uh, exercising this kind of exploitation, and I'm also improving this other kind over here, right? Like I'm right, trying but what to What makes Bo like. more interesting than a Starbucks commercial is that he's paying at least some attention to that tension. A corporation right, I, is not, I agree. yeah, that like a you know a Starbucks commercial is just I, we're woke. There's no like reflecting on what it the attempt to be woke in the face of these circumstances and the problems with the fat, you know, like yeah. how you grow your beans and all that sort of shit. Although right. they do in terms of the bean growing shit, sure. but, but like, no, I got that. But, but that's where I go. Like, what is the value of that self-awareness? Like, I wonder about right. the value or, or, um, 
why do we attribute so much value to the fact that Bo Burnham is self-aware of it if self-awareness ends up just being that sort of circle that doesn't go anywhere, right? Like it just becomes a sort of self-defeating circle as, as I was reading you know, this earlier on before Nathaniel gave a more interesting reading of it, right? Because um, in that case, it's just like, it's the same thing with a corporate question as well. And, and at least to me, that's the upshot of what he's doing really well is he's posing the impossibility of purity, that there yeah. is no, not for the individual on the personal level, mental health-wise, for the social criticism level, for the corporate level, right? Like that there is this, it, the impossibility of purity. So, I mean, one of the upshots of that is it's just too easy to tell people that they're hypocritical because literally everyone is. Mm-hmm. There is no possibility of being right. pure righteousness, and, you know, or even like a really good person. It's just not possible. Like in order for anyone to hear you, right. you have to get involved with mechanisms of exploitation. That's mm-hmm. the game. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is the academic question. Like how do you write Marxist philosophy right. from an institution that's paying you, uh, yeah. you know, X amount of dollars, <laughs> right? Like that is, and I have never experienced that as a trauma. I'm like really easily. Like this. Right. But it's precisely because I have always at some level never believed that one had to exist in a position of purity. And that to me is actually more of the danger of the branding thing is that the premise is that you're supposed to have a consistent, righteous self from which to act. And it's like none of us do, right? That's exactly what I want to get get to, especially with the self-reflection stuff, is that like if you think of self-reflection in in this more traditional sense, then there is a self that is consistent – you know, right. that, that can be reflected actions. upon. And right. I mean, going back to that problematic mm-hmm. video, that that self becomes something that can, you know, obtain the property of guilt, blame, praise, good, bad, whatever else it is. And we were talking yeah. about sort of like, you know, we were sort of talking around, you know, the, the sort of the, the function of authorial intention and authorial biography. And I was mm-hmm. thinking of, you know, Foucault's essay, What is an Author?, uh, where he's like, he's thinking about the authorial name as an index for gathering a bunch of other stuff. And, you know, especially when he's talking about the sort of the, um, the historical emergence of, of, of the author as sort of it functions politically, economically, socially, and religiously, is what it effectively does is, is gathers actions and allows actions and texts in particular to be. Um, are coordinated with punishable bodies. Pu- pun- right? I, it made me think of your interest in the punishment because, like, mm-hmm. that yeah. is his cl- that is one of his claims. There is that texts began to have authors when people began to be punished for the things that were written for the heretical, you know, right. subversive in the fifteenth century. Right. Well, exactly. And back to like you know the Christ imagery of it all is like you know finding a scapegoat you know because it's so easy mm-hmm. to push blame and like him embodying this like oh I'm I'm carrying the weight of white men in a sense which right. also is kind of like you know again hypocritical and ironic in of itself is to place you know the whole sins of one yeah, community yeah. on the representative of it Talk and also self aggrandizement <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> um, but yeah so it's so interesting that it's like as a Jesus figure like carrying on this it's like and that's exactly what you know we we expect or what we want to do is to say like, oh, well, it's, it's the corporation. Oh, or it's Bo right. Burnham, That's you right. know, like. In, in thinking through this, I feel like we're g- glossing 
Nietzsche's genealogy of morals, you know, yeah. book yeah. one, book one, the emergence yeah. of resentment. It's your, it's your fault. And what Christianity as a religion does is it comes in and it interiorizes and it turns mm-hmm. it's your, it's, you know, it's someone else's fault to it's my fault. Right. And the yeah. formation of bad conscience. So what we have here is this oscillation between resentment. It's someone else's fault and bad conscience. It's my fault. Right. And the ascetic yep. priest in this case are, you know, less religion and maybe corporate America or, or, or the internet, right, is the mm-hmm. thing that's transforming. But it's, it's always a question of blame responsibility as the basis of subject formation. Like, mm-hmm. how do you get to be an I by being to blame? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. exactly. Saying, that's, mm-hmm. yeah. I was going to add with that, too. Like, that's very, I mean, again, I haven't actually read that because yeah. I cannot reiterate Nobody if I'm has. not a philosopher. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, right. uh, but it's interesting, though, in regards to religion, saying that it kind of turns back the blame on, like, you know, it, it's my fault because, like, that's kind of, right. like, the function of Christianity. There is kind of the, the cop-out of the potential perfection of, like, well, there is something we can put it upon. And that comes back to the whole scapegoat because I feel like that is so yeah, intrinsic in that culture. Right, yeah, right. okay, yeah, because it's just, like, so, like, on one hand, like, yes, it does, but it, and it also comes back to the whole tension release because there's the tension that, like, oh, yes, like, this is all, it's all my fault, like, I'm full of sin. And then you also have, it's like, oh, but it's not really because all I have to do is just say 10 Hail Marys and I'm fine. So I think that like, it's an interesting comparison to use religion because I do think unlike corporations, which I guess maybe to an extent corporations apologies and corporations branding is their answer. And that's like their atonement, which I guess also you guys probably figured out like five seconds ago, but you know, with Bo Burnham, it all, it all comes back. Well, it's like the self-flagellating is like the 10 Hail Marys too. Like saying on Twitter that I'm culpable in systemic structures of oppression that's my Hail Mary for the day, and then I'll, exactly. I'm going to yeah, heaven. Yeah. I'm going into woke heaven. Woke heaven. You know? <laughs> but also, but, but, but like, I mean, the flip side, and I, I know I keep doing this, is, is like flipping sides in a sense, but it's like, what else can you do, right? Like yeah. there's no, in other words, that, that's where I, I get back on your self-awareness team for a moment, and I'm like, look, there's, there's no, alter- I mean, it, it, to me, there is something fundamentally different about um, you made the distinction between the, the corporate ad for LGBTQ and the sort of Bo Burnham sort of comedy. And what he brings to it is a self-awareness of his own imbrication in the things that he's doing, whereas the corporate doesn't have right. that. And I'm like, that's a difference, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a difference. Now, I'm not saying it's a determinative difference of what makes one good and one bad. I'm not yeah. saying that at all. But it is a difference. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. self-awareness, I mean, and, and I'm, I share this with you, Nate, of like, I... I find those things more interesting. I find the person who is, you know, participating in a in a in a problematic way in whatever cultural phenomenon, but is is sort of cognizant of the problems with it. I'd rather be around that person than the one who isn't. Right. Right. You know. You, and yep, but both are still both could, are still participating. You could also argue. Right. You could also argue that the even the corporation's disingenuous engagement in woke values is still but it's also maybe a good thing like it points to even though they feel pressure to be woke uh from like a profit margin kind of uh perspective like that points to a progressive arc of the country Mm -hmm. overall so even if they are disingenuous and even if they are still exploiting labor in various ways i mean that does point to something good happening probably well i mean and back to the special too i mean it's kind of like an intentionality like you know it doesn't really matter exactly what the thought process behind or why we're seeing these things i mean it's the effect that it you know ultimately has on people but at the same time you know like with that self-awareness and still knowing that they're complicit in those it complicates it um but yeah yeah, i mean 
Yeah. That's where the corporate question does an interesting thing because while we can believe, and I think wrongly a lot of the times, that individuals simply have intentions, I mean, for the most part, I feel like I act out of a whole series of intentions that I don't know what they are, mm-hmm. and they yeah. change over time, and then later I reflect back and think it was completely different. But when you're dealing with a large entity, like any kind of company, the idea that there's one intention is absurd, yeah. right? Like the idea, like at Turner Classic Movies, like there's not just one person who makes the decision, you know, yeah. there are a whole series of people who who have to enact every kind of decision and they can do it with various levels of sincerity and authenticity or cynicism or disingenuousness or right like you've just got a whole panoply of motives mm. you know motivations and so the idea of saying well did Ben and Jerry's or did Corporation X really mean that is a it's an absurd question on its face in ways mm. that we don't think it's an absurd question when we oppose it to individuals my argument is it's exactly the same question mm. 